0: So if driving home this morning with Debbie, I heard the words, greetings, favored Todd. The Lord is with you. I think I'd immediately be troubled (laughs) because I know this story, right? Well, for me, one of the great joys of spending Advent thinking about Mary and it's It's fun to me. It's meaningful to me. But one of the things that makes it meaningful to me is that Mary knew a story like this. Mary's a faithful Jew. She knew that when Abraham heard, hey, Abraham, trouble was coming. Or, hey, Moses, trouble was coming. Or, hey, David, trouble is coming. She knows the story of the women and men of Israel who had heard voices like this before and knew that they were being put into a story that at least to some degree or another would make their life feel, if not indeed, be out of control. And so Mary knows this story of Malachi. Again, as a faithful Jew, she's conscious of living in this story of Israel. She's conscious of hoping for a Messiah. And so in a sense, if you look at those words in Malachi, suddenly and surprisingly, the Lord will come. I can just hear a modern Mary going, true that. Like, this is significantly sudden. And this is significantly surprising. And then Malachi, you know, prophesies and sees this day coming. And, and he wonders, if you look at the text, who can endure? Who, who will be able to stand on the day of this coming? Because he'll be like a white hot fire in the smelter's furnace. He'll be like the laundry's strongest lye soap. And so the notion here in Malachi is that this, this is purification and that this purification is meant to make God's people like Mary, a hospitable place for the life and work of God. Man, I just treasure sitting with that all week this week. Like what would my life be like if I could make it a hospitable place for the person and work of God. Now, I'll never get to the drama that Mary did, obviously. So the point here isn't the drama of the Virgin Mary, although it's obviously enormously dramatic. The point is Mary is model. And she's model of this person who desired a hospitable place, that her life would be a hospitable place for God, for God's work. And our reading in Philippians 1, in a sense, gives us the lasting effect of this partnership. You know, I've said to you many times over the years that if someone these days asks me, well, what's it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I'm very likely to say, well, it means to be his cooperative friend and to seek to live a life of constant creative goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. That's sort of my elevator speech. And and in a sense, that, that describes a partnership. And... It Mary and God have this sort of partnership, and there's a lasting effect to it. If you you look at your passage in Philippians 1, where you might hear it, of course, this isn't what Paul meant, but we might hear it this morning in the context of thinking about Mary, that, hey, Mary, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until until the day of Christ. And you might hear Mary hearing something like, and Mary, it's through your faithfulness, It's through you cooperating with God's active love and bearing the Son of God that this people is going to arise of whom Paul says their love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And these people will become pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. That that is all the effect of Mary's partnership with God, of making not just her womb. Her womb became a hospitable place for God because she already was. Her heart and mind and soul, all the things that we talk about in spiritual formation, heart, mind, soul, will, uh, thoughts, emotions, these things were already aligned such that her body could then follow. But in the first moment, if you look at our gospel reading, Mary's troubled by this because, as I said, she knows the story. And she's trying to discern what's meant by this weird greeting that I'm favored and that the Lord is with me. Like, what's that all about? And then the angel says to her, and I, when I get to heaven, if we get to talk to angels, I want to ask this angel, what the heck were you thinking? Like, how's Mary not supposed to be afraid here? But he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. Well, what's he getting at? Well, obviously, the opposite of fear is courage. And so what is this thing that Mary actually ends up having, this thing called courage? And I think of it just briefly this morning as the quality of being, which allows one to persevere in doing the right thing, even when that right thing is unfamiliar or mysterious or frightening. And again, I get the luxury of sitting with these things all week. You guys just get to hear the fruits of it for a few minutes. But again, as I just sat this week with Mary being this stunning example of doing the right thing, even when it doesn't make sense. C.S. Lewis says that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but courage is the form of every virtue at the testing point. See, Mary has the virtue of knowing her story. She has the preexisting virtue of being committed to that story. She's a faithful Jew. But this announcement to her is testing that, and it's in the testing of that that we see her courage. And so as we read this morning that Advent 2, the second week of Advent, is the week in which we, we think of peace. So what do we mean when we think of peace, and and especially in the sense of this story about Mary? Well, peace is a quiet, grounded tranquility that comes from feeling safe and secure. And this, I think, is what gives Mary her peaceful courage. Well, as I sat with this again this week, I began to wonder, why Mary?
1: Why not Betty or Ruth or... Sarah why mary
0: and what is happening when you have a ready to be always ready to be incarnate second person of the trinity the son of god who was always in the process of being incarnated that story coming together with this one individual that we now know of mary like whoa that's that's mind blowing how does that happen why mary and the answer to this, I think, is because God is gracious in election. I mean, as towering of a figure as Mary is, she obviously is existing under the person and plan and purposes of this God who is gracious in his election, and that when he elects Mary or elects um, the Jews or elects us, that it's in this election that we then get, have the hope for knowing the meaning of human life as he intended it. This is the great graciousness of God that undergirds Mary. And and it's only as that goodness and graciousness and power of God undergirds and facilitates and and makes a Mary who she is that we then get to see her and allow her to become a model for us. So the backstory here isn't so much Mary's inherent virtue, though it's stunning, The backstory here is the story of Israel. The backstory is God's sovereign and gracious election of men and women who have always carried forward the purposes of God. So again, as a Jew, Mary is part of the people through whom the world would be blessed. So what was um, Genesis 12, one through three meant to look like when God calls Abraham and says, I'm gonna bless you and protect you and you're gonna become a blessing to the whole world? what was that meant to look like? And what would the people be like who could actually carry that out? And again, you just say Mary with big blinking lights. Mary, it looks like Mary. It looks like somebody who makes their life hospitable for God for the sake of others. And this is Mary. And so it's precisely to that story that both God and Mary are being faithful. So the election of Mary to bear the incarnate God is a huge example of what it means to be like to bear God in the world. And you will hear that that will be a theme this morning. So the emphasis on Mary then is not just on her great qualities, though they're innumerous, and especially as we think this morning of her peaceful courage, but the emphasis is rather on the gracious choosing of God. Augustine put it this way, God formed Mary in order to choose her, and he chose her in order to, To form her. Now you need to catch this. This does not lessen our esteem for Mary. What these last couple of minutes are meant to do for you is to encourage you that you and I also, by the gracious, unmerited action of God, can bear Christ in the world. I mean, Mary was unspeakably good. Lots of you in this room are really good human beings and are seeking to be better every day. And that's great. But it it has not the potential it could have until God comes and elects that goodness that's growing in you and uses it for the sake of others. That's the beautiful marriage that we have here in this partnership, as I said, between Mary and God. So then let's say a bit more about God's gracious election and how this works. It works something like this, that though Mary is completely ordinary, that is to say, she, she, I'm sure, was a toweringly good woman, but she's still ordinary, completely ordinary. But in her ordinariness, she is the central human figure in the incarnation. Did you catch that? I mean, you know, you've got shepherds, and you've got magi, and, you know, you've got family and extended family and all that, but the central person in the coming of the incarnate God to earth is this woman Mary? But God's grace was with her, not just in miraculous conception and in birth, but throughout her life. I mean, we, you know, of course, it's we you know, focus on virgin birth. Of course, you know, well, that's totally normal. Why wouldn't we? But how would you like to have raised Jesus? Talk about a precocious kid. You know, what kind of bumper sticker? You know, my, my child is a what? Well, you know, like... <laughs> My child made yours. I don't know. What do you know? <laughs> right? So, of course, we see God's, like, you know, powerful presence enabling this thing that we can't even describe, this virgin birth. But not just. God's grace and power was with all of Mary's life as a mother, a husband, a friend, a neighbor. Again, this is why she's such a great example of a human life becoming the hospitable place for the person and work of God. So one commentator describes Mary this way, that, you know, Mary's not just the passive recipient, again, of this virgin birth, but she interacts positively with this flood of the grace of God that's coming to her so that one commentator puts it this way, that that we see this as Mary assents to the words of Gabriel. We see the grace and power of God as she prophesies at Elizabeth's house as she mulls over what's happening in the manger, as she ponders what's happening in the temple courts, as she directs her son at the wedding in Cana, when she's excluded at Peter's house. What was that all about? Sorry, mom, get out of the room. I got work to do here. In grieving at the foot of the cross, and finally waiting in the upper room with all the other followers of Jesus as he had commanded them to do. And so despite living in multiple confusions as a very ordinary woman, Mary found a way to live a faith-filled life of trust in a very real life in a very real world. So Abraham and Moses, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the work of God in carrying out the story of his people always interrupts and startles us. And the discovery that God wants to work in our life always brings a mix of joy and apprehension. So again, picture as you can Mary's life. From the announcement from the angel to watching Jesus' ministry, to the cross, to resurrection, to ascension, to upper room, to Pentecost, Mary herself was a mix of starts and stops, of insight and confusion. Mary had moments of doubt and ambiguity, but also exhilarating faith. She's one of us. And the reason that's important is not to bring Mary down to us. The reason it's important is to say, God can make your life a hospitable place to bear God in the world. Without that ordinariness, we don't have any hope. Mary becomes something that is no longer than a model. She's like a cosmic one-off. And Mary finds her place in this big, long story from creation to the fulfillment of God in the new heavens and the new earth. She She finds her place in that story as this towering woman precisely because of her ordinariness from which she manages peaceful courage and shows us what it might be. Like to be the kind of person who can bear God's work in the world. So when I think of Mary's peaceful courage, I mean, it's a lot to be asked to believe that God can miraculously create life from us. That's a lot to be asked. I find it a lot to ask of me. Really? Given my limitations and given my earth boundedness, given my history, I would have been just like Mary. Like, seriously? You can produce the life of God in and through me for the sake of others? That is a lot to ask of somebody. But that gets us back to Mary's courage. That courage that's funded by an underlying peace that then again makes her the model of the church as we're meant to be. That through the life of the Spirit in us, even as the life of God was born in her through the Spirit, Again, we're back to this theme of Mary of bearing Jesus in the world. So when I think of Mary and I think of the modeling that I've been suggesting here this morning, I don't know about you, but to me, it's hugely inspiring. And Mary makes me want to be a different man. But then I think, if we're honest, we think, yeah, okay, it is inspiring, but do I really want to go through the process? Do I really want to experience the change and feel the pain? That's completely normal. And so then while Mary is really evocative, right, she touches something in us, she's really imaginative, right? We can think about what would it have been like to have that kind of proximate, powerful work of God in our life. We see her peaceful courage when we stop to think about it. We see how it makes a place for the presence of God to abide and work in her. We might even come to the place of being able to see the possibility of that, of us, for that in our time, of us being able to make a place for God. And again, I want to say that as we are singing about waiting for the promise, and as Advent reminds us that we sit in this time between the times of the first and second coming of Jesus, this is what gives rise to the penitential aspect of Advent, because Advent helps us to wonder, seeing what Malachi says the coming of the Lord will be like, watching how Mary experienced it, but became a partner in God, and then from her comes Jesus and these, the people of Jesus that Paul talks about in Philippians, but it's Advent and the penitential aspects of Advent that we pick up in Malachi that makes us think if I'm going to enter into that kind of powerful partnership with God, if my heart, mind, soul, will, body, my social self is going to become a hospitable place for the work of God, what exactly, in the words of Malachi, in my life needs refining? And that's where we kind of go, uh, Yeah, Mary's evocative, and she's an imagine, she is imaginative. She stimulates my imagination, but... Uh, Uh, When it gets down to what in my life needs refining, that's a different that's a different category of question. And what if we're confused or about this or blinded by it? We can't even maybe see what needs refined. It wouldn't be unintelligent to think, well, will will this hurt? Oh, don't worry, Mary. Such and such is going to happen. Why wasn't that like a little kid going to the doctor? Mommy, is this going to hurt? It's a totally normal question. How much might it hurt? What might I have to give up to make my life a hospitable place for the work of God? Totally normal questions. It's totally normal that they would scare us a little bit. But again, this is why I find Mary so evocative, that in her body, her soul, and her spirit, it became the place of God's power and glory I know this sounds ostentatious. It feels ostentatious to me. But what if the church really was meant to be something similar to that? A place where we bore God in the world for the sake of others. Well, so then I go from evocative and imaginative to a little bit feeling impotent, right? Like where from where would someone get the power, the capacity to do that and to feel potent rather than impotent? Well, we have clues in our passage. And in the story of Mary, the Spirit came to Mary to allow her to bear God in the world. And the Spirit came on the church in Acts 2 for it to bear God. God in the world, and weekly, and the weeks especially that I have the privilege of standing behind the table, we invite the Spirit upon us and our celebration. So everybody look at me here. You need to see this. I don't know if you've ever noticed. I, as you know, I never draw attention myself, so you may have never noticed this, but whenever I'm standing there and we come to that sentence that says, where we invite the Spirit upon us. Have you ever noticed I always do this? So we invite your spirit upon us because I want to be a part of that. I want my life to be a spirit-empowered, spirit-animated, spirit-gifted, spirit-fruited life. So like, I mean what I say. Let your spirit be upon us and upon our celebration is what I do every time I stand up there. And I want to invite you, I should have said this years ago, I don't know why I didn't, but I want to invite you from here on out to mean it. Let your spirit be upon you. Do what you want to do, upon us. Whatever's meaningful to you. Use your body in that moment to help you enter into this story of becoming the kinds of people who through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would bear God and his work in the world. As was first toweringly modeled to us in this woman, Mary, and her peaceful courage. So in this quiet moment, I want to invite you, as Christy did when we began to close your eyes, to make yourself bodily peaceful, whatever that might mean for you. And if it's true that there's a thread in this narrative of the Spirit coming on Mary, the Spirit coming on the church, the Spirit coming on the church in our weekly practice of Eucharist, in this quiet moment, I want to invite you to invite
1: the Holy Spirit upon you. In this quiet moment, in your own words, how might
0: you invite the Spirit to make your body and your soul a place for the
1: work of God? how might you take your body and your soul and give it to the spirit such that your life becomes that which Jesus taught us to pray, that his kingdom would come through you and that his will would be done through you. Take
0: precisely your ordinariness not your hoped-for perfections, but this morning take your profound
1: ordinariness and place it before God as an offering and ask him to fill that ordinary life with his spirit that through you, through us, we might bear Christ in the world.